0: Welcome to the Future Tech edition of the Finding Genius Podcast. Forget frequently asked questions, forget common sense, common knowledge, or Googling for information. How about advice from a genius in their field instead? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do, but only 0.1% are the geniuses of their profession. Richard has made it his life's mission to interview the geniuses of their fields in areas such as AI, 3D printing, quantum computing, blockchain and Bitcoin and more. Don't miss out on amazing podcasts with geniuses. Review us on iTunes or wherever you listen and go to futuretech.findinggeniuspodcast.com and subscribe today.
1: Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Future Tech and Finding Genius podcast series. I Robert Quinn. He's an assistant professor at Michigan State University. We're going to be focusing on cystic fibrosis. So, good, Rob. Yeah. Uh, hi. Yeah. Thanks for coming.
2: Thanks a lot for having me.
1: Yeah, I don't know uh, much about cystic fibrosis except, uh, I guess, you know, what I've seen on the internet. But I guess it's a, uh, it's a transposition or a um, one missing um, part of the genome, a very small part that really causes the whole onset of uh, cystic fibrosis system, you know, uh, symptoms or What's the uh, the yeah, origin could, of the disease? I could
2: talk a little bit about it. It's actually a genetic disease. So it's like classic Mendelian genetics. Um, it's hmm. autosomal recessive disease. So people with fibrosis have various mutations in a gene called the cystic fibrosis transmembrane conductance regulator. That's a mouthful. So far short, we say CFTR. So patients are born with CF, um, but the manifestations are quite complex. So what happens is that on pod birth, they um, don't show a lot of disease yet, um, but the, the mutations in the CFTR gene affect a number of tissues, uh, the lungs, the gut, um, the pancreas, a few other places. Um, over time, the mutations start to develop a lot of pathology in different organ systems. The main pathology comes from uh, the disruption of mucus production and mucus kind of physiology in those tissues, particularly in the lungs. The reason for that is that CFTR, this gene, its responsibility is to transport uh, negatively charged ions across the membrane. So people with CF basically have a disruption in their ability to do that effectively. It's somewhat of a complex physiology how it actually happens, but there's still somewhat debate about the kind of molecular mechanisms behind it. But ultimately, people with these mutations develop this buildup of thick, sticky mucus on their airway surface, and it really starts from birth. But the, the kind of classic symptoms of CF that people associate, which is mostly infections in the lung, doesn't necessarily happen right away. It takes a few years and really becomes a problem later in life. But it ultimately is a genetic disease that results in a lot of complex pathologies in the gut, uh, in the pancreas, the digestive problems, but particularly the, the issues uh, are in the lung.
1: So is this a? Um, uh, it seems like a progressive dysbiosis in one way. I guess because very the mucus much. filled up is, is because of certain bacteria, right, that, that produce biofilms. Yeah.
2: It, in some ways, it's like the most extreme dysbiosis you can have. I mean, healthy lungs are pretty pristine. I would never use the word sterile because that's like a swear word for microbiologist. But for the most part, healthy people have very low bacteria, if any bacterial, in their lower airways. But in cystic fibrosis, they because of this mucus dysfunction, they can't clear their mucus out. So it allows for colonization by pathogenic bacteria, opportunistic pathogens. So in that sense, the dysbiosis is about as extreme as it can be. It's really an infection, right, like a chronic infection that they get. They develop this microbiome or this polymicrobial community in their lung over decades, and they live with it their whole life. So having CF is like having the worst checks infection you've ever had every day your entire life.
1: So what, what kind of bacteria have been observed in healthy lungs versus uh, you know CF lungs? What, what do you know that's about a
2: great. That's a great question. So we see a lot of the same bacteria in healthy people as we do in CF people. Um, there's an important difference, though. Um, CF people tend to get infected with these opportunistic pathogens, things like Pseudomonas aeruginosa, Staphylococcus aureus, Phenotropomonas Maltophilia, Chromobacter xylosoxidans. Those are all big, long words that aren't all that important. Uh, Healthy people generally don't, so we're mostly resistant to things like Pseudomonas, uh, unless we have some kind of compromised state or we get a particularly virulent strain. But there are some commonalities between what we see in sick people with CF and healthy people. That being, they also get colonized by microbes from the oral cavity and sort of the upper airway, which are often oral anaerobes, certain bacteria you might even associate with cavities. We pick up in samples from people with cystic fibrosis and there was evidence that they get into the lung so there's a really interesting kind of uh, biogeography aspect to this in that um, the upper airway and the oral cavity is sort of the source of inoculation in cf so we all have the same bacteria in our oral cavities cf people and healthy people but when cf people breathe them into their lung and i'm breathing them into my lung and frankly spitting them all over the my office right now um, because these microbes are small when they get into our lungs they get cleared but in cystic fibrosis, these bacteria tend to stay there and they get infections. So that's why there are some bacteria that are shared between healthy people and um, people with CF. And my lab is particularly studying those bacteria.
1: So how does the lung react to you know, this persistent accumulation? Does it change its morphology or function? Is there anything? Yeah, you know, like what yeah
2: inflammation, really. I mean, the major response to these bacterial infections are inflammation. There's massive what we call neutrophilic inflammation. Uh, Neutrophils are immune cells that are particularly uh, designed to respond to bacterial infections. They bring with them like a myriad of defense mechanisms. The lungs of CF patients, I mean, may be the most inflamed place on Earth, right? They've been strong signals for neutrophil recruitment or neutrophil cell migration basically since birth. And We're talking on the order of decades, right? 40 to 50 years, these patients have had these infections, and neutrophils and inflammatory signals have been coming from the lung ever since. Um, there are other immune cells that are very important as well, macrophages too, but really, really neutrophils are the major cellular response that we see in cystic fibrosis.
1: Okay, so neutrophils are part of the immune response. What, what do they do when mm-hmm. they infiltrate? What, they, cause they
2: do a lot of stuff. I relax. mean, they're... Yeah, it's it's a really fascinating science. Um, they do a lot of stuff. They essentially, t- essentially try to kill the bacteria, but they also try to kind of ward them off. So an interesting physiological aspect of neutrophils is they, they will produce what are called NETs, neutrophil exercise or traps. Uh, so a neutrophil cell will actually really commit suicide in a way. When it gets into the lung, it has these signals that there are bad bacteria here. I need to come and do my job. And what's one of the aspects of their job is to lyse themselves. And when they do, they do it in a particular way where they release all of their DNA. I don't know if your audience is too familiar with the structure and the, the kind of um, chemistry of DNA, but it's a really complex, long, long fiber, right? Uh, polymer. And it creates this huge net when the cells lyse. In that net are also enzymes. So it's, um, they include things like proteases. And we actually published a paper last year that showed one of the major signals we see in the lung is the activity of an enzyme called neutrophil elastase. So neutrophils bring with them DNA in their nets. They bring enzymes. They also do some phagocytosis, but primarily they come and they really, in a way, kill themselves, spit all these things out into their environment, their DNA and these enzymes, and trap bacteria. You can imagine a fisherman trying to catch a large school of fish. It's not all that different, uh, unless you're uh, your net was covered in uh, proteolytic enzymes, which is how neutrophils do it.
1: This, this may be a really stupid question, but is there any positive benefit or effect from having these bacteria colonize the lung and produce these films? Or, I mean, maybe it's stupid no. to ask, but anything. No, it's,
2: it's bad news. I mean, and it, it's an important question because we often, I often get questions from the audience, generally clinical audiences. We talk about, much like I had mentioned, these pathogenic bacteria like Pseudomonas. And then these anaerobes, oral bacteria, you know, which ones are good and which ones are bad. Well, the reality is they're both bad. Uh, a healthy lung should be relatively pristine and shouldn't have a high load of bacteria. So it, it's very different than other organ systems uh, from a microbiome sense and that, you know, any bacteria that are there really should be on their way out. And CF, the problem is is that they can't get the bacteria out.
1: And then the um, bacteria, you know, like when, when people breathe normally, I've heard they can over-breathe, you know, obviously they can underbreathe. they can have higher low levels of CO2, they might not be able to clear it, etc. So the conditions in which these bacteria live, I know they're trying to make them hospitable to themselves, but what, what kind of therapies can be done with a patient to, I don't know, maybe change the gas exchange rate or introduce uh, um, something that you breathe in that, that hurts the bacteria?
2: It's an interesting idea. Um, we did some experiments when I was a post with Forrest Rower at San Diego State University. Um, the idea was uh, to have these patients not only breathe oxygen, but perhaps sit in a hyperbaric chamber full of oxygen, sort of like divers do on um, the Equilibrate. Uh, that drove some of the clinicians a little crazy because the idea of kind of putting these patients into these hyperbaric chambers of high pressure could do really damaging things to their lungs. But the idea was that perhaps not only giving the patients oxygen for the sake of their need to, to respire more oxygen, but it may kill some of these bacteria, particularly these anaerobes that we talked about. Um, but see if patients do inhale oxygen. Um, there's lots of treatments that are um, designed to kind of keep the mucus out of, get the mucus out of their lungs. that are not necessarily antibiotics, but the primary therapy, at least uh, for the microbes, are antibiotics.
1: Is, is the mucus uh, the result of a biofilm that's formed by the bacteria and is it cross species? Like, you know, how is it characterized the mucus? Uh,
2: absolutely. Yeah. So it's a complex assemblage of a lot of things I and mean, it's a biofilm sort of in that classical sense, but it's also a little bit unique. The nets, so as I mentioned, one of the major um, things you can see if you stain and look at CF mucus under a microscope are is DNA. So part of the biofilm is the neutrophil DNA itself. And then particular bacteria in the lung make biofilms in the way that you may have heard, um, particularly Pseudomonas aeruginosa. We think that's also happening in the lungs. The biofilms from Pseudomonas and CF seem a little bit unique. They tend to uh, grow in these small, what we call, micro Um And then some really interesting work by uh, a number of people, including Diane Newman's lab at Caltech, has done some really cool imaging of sputum. And it does look like the microbes tend to kind of... Um, stay away from each other they they group together which we didn't necessarily expect but it's a mishmash of everything right everything's mixed together and uh, it's a biofilm that's comprised of hosts microbial um, all kinds of different um, substrates
1: so uh, okay what have you seen appears to modulate you know the, the mucus the thickness the abundance of it you know the waxing and waning or is it just i mean when the bacteria set it up the neutrophils help set it up. Mm-hmm. You know, what happens? I don't does think it progress to a different We really stage know. The
2: same? I don't think we really know. I mean, the classic kind of really tragic and unfortunate story in cystic fibrosis is that generally children with the disease have less mucus production. But at some point during their early yeah. adolescent to teen years, that tends to change. And they start to produce something called sputum, which is really mucus coughed out of your lung. Uh, um, so that's, kind of a poorly understood transition where why is it that a person tends to start to produce mucus? We have some theories that it has to do with pathogen infection, that the first time they really get colonized uh, by things like pseudomonas, it really changes that neutrophilic response, which leads to the production of those nets, leads to the production of biofilms from pseudomonas. For the most part, we don't really know how that transition happens from a relatively by no means pristine, but cleaner lung to really characteristic lung, chronic lung infection in CF.
1: Well, what does the, um, the mucus look like in a young person versus a teenager? Has that been
2: characterized? Uh, What's the it's, yeah, I mean, I'm not totally familiar with that myself, but it'd be thinner um, in CF. I mean, the mucus is, you know, it's not pretty. It's uh, very purulent, which is the word we use. It has pus, uh, which are really neutrophils and bacteria, thick, sticky, some of the most unpleasant stuff you can think of. Um, some children may produce that to a certain degree, but certainly the mucus would be thinner in, in younger children. Um, but I'm not really an expert on the, the mucus physiology in that sense. You
1: know, what's your angle on how to uh, impact the disease? What are you looking at specifically?
2: Well, I think the most exciting thing right now, cystic fibrosis, is the emergence of these new uh, small molecule therapies um, from a company called Vertex. And a lot of people have been involved I mean, these drugs are are potentially revolutionary for what cystic fibrosis disease has been. It may no longer be this chronic disease, this chronic infection that we think, because these drugs appear to be very efficacious. Um, They're starting to be able to be provided to more and more patients. And that's an extremely exciting um, area of research. But the challenge is that these bacterial infections are very, very hard to get rid of. Certainly people that are born with CF already, the drugs these new drugs will help them but they may never be able to clear their infections people that are born in the future with cystic fibrosis there's a good chance um, i'm an expert on this but you know that they may have a very different disease and a much much better um, experience with CF because of these drugs but those people that are walking around today already have these chronic infections they're almost impossible to to remove so the approach that that we argue for is you know, application of these new drugs to the right genotypes, the right mutations, and the right people with really strategic antibiotic and antimicrobial therapies. And that's really what my lab is working on. What bacteria should we be killing? How should we be killing? How can we utilize our antibiotics that are at our disposal to best kill them? When can we reduce the amount of resistance? Things like that, sort of a two-headed approach, which would be uh, utilizing the, the, the drugs that target the genetic uh, problems and then appropriate use of antibiotics when needed, I think, is really the way to, to tackle this disease.
1: Well, if you're looking into antimicrobials, I mean, broad-spectrum antibiotics, broad-spectrum, you're looking at which bacteria, particular bacteria to impact. Are you looking at phages or antimicrobial peptides or you know, lysins? That's
2: or an like? interesting point. My lab doesn't do this as much, but phage therapy has been um, a really, not necessarily a new idea, but it's really starting to get some steam behind it. As a new therapy in cystic fibrosis. The reality is that, you know, phages are a great new approach, but they also, bacteria can also develop resistance to them. I mean, anything that we can get our hands on that we can keep these bacteria at bay. Um, the sort of uh, almost ironic thing about CF is in some ways we think that the damage in the lung really actually comes from neutrophil activity, that the bacteria themselves tend to evolve and become less virulent over time, much like a virus sort of evolves with its host over time. You know, and the host, does, the virus doesn't want to just kill its host outright. It wants to live and reproduce. The problems appear to become from the neutrophil activity, particularly the proteases that don't only chop up bacterial proteins, but they also chop up your own, which can damage your lung tissue. Um, so kind of approaching uh, therapies, thinking about that is important as well.
1: So what, uh, you know, what are you working on right now that seems to be promising, you know, without disclosing too much, obviously, but.
2: Uh, yeah. I mean, really when I got, uh, first involved in CF. So my, my PhD was uh, studying lobsters in New England, which is a long uh, way from uh, lungs, certainly evolutionarily. Um, delicious, you know, delicious I, PhD though. No. Yeah, exactly. Oh, it was great. We had to make sure we get lots of healthy samples. Controls were very important in that study. Um, but when I when I started reading about cystic fibrosis, I read about these events called pulmonary exacerbations, which are really just flares of disease. So people with CF always have. Uh, the disease because it's genetic um, cause. But periodically, they get much sicker and they have these kind of symptom flares and they're terrible events. You know, ask many CF patients, their worst experience with this disease is often the exacerbations. They, they have to go to the hospital many times. Uh, they have to take aggressive antibiotic therapy and sometimes they, they can even die from them. Um, so My lab's really been trying to understand what causes them. We really don't know what causes exacerbations. There seems to be evidence much like you and I, that some patients get infected with a viruses. You know, in winter we all get a cold. You can imagine if you had a very compromised lung, that a cold, a lung infection from a virus would be particularly bad. But there's also these other exacerbations that we see evidence for the role of these other bacteria that haven't been considered much in the history of cystic fibrosis, which are these anaerobes, these oral bacteria that I talked about. We've seen some evidence that their activity is heightened when patients are having an exacerbation. And what's really interesting, and a lot of other labs are starting to find the same thing, is that the antibiotics seem to more effectively kill those bacteria than they do the actual pathogens that they're designed to kill. There may be a connection there for when an antibiotic works, a patient gets better, perhaps it's actually killing these anaerobes. We don't quite know that yet, but we're seeing evidence for that in a number of studies.
1: Okay. Um, The uh, the neutrophil signaling, I mean, is that just a, a fundamental immune response? Could that be dampened? Or to do so would really like compromise that. The
2: great question. That is certainly an, another aspect of CF therapy. So steroids that are given to kind of dampen the immune response is another mechanism of therapy. Um, yeah, I, I think you really kind of hit the nail on the head there. The three pronged approach maybe really should be the option. Bring in another approach, which is to keep down that inflammation. Um, even ideas about um, try to reduce the proteolysis, the, the neutrophilase activity. There are certain drugs that can target that enzyme. Um, All of these things are being developed as drugs for CF, and some of them are already available.
1: Okay. Well, very good. Uh, What do you expect um, might be a beneficial outcome in the next year or two from your research? Anything getting close to a result, or is it still going to be a while?
2: Yeah, I I think it's going to be a while. Uh, I think some of the fundamental questions in CF are still completely uh, unanswered. We don't really know what the antibiotics even do. Right. So the CF patients that have an exacerbation, they're given an antibiotic. The, the physician tends to choose the drug based on kind of clinical history. Um, they're provided antibiotic resistance profiles from bacteria that are infecting that patient, but they often don't use that information because they know that it's not necessarily informative or not, whether or not the patient will get better. It's almost amazing that through the history of antibiotic therapy in this disease, we really don't know what the drugs do. Um, once we understand that, and if it is true that they generally kill the anaerobic bacteria, we may be able to move away from this broad-spectrum approach. Broad-spectrum antibiotic therapy is you know, an f- effective way to kill bacteria, but it also uh, has a lot of negative consequences. It kills lots of bacteria, including those in your gut, and cause problems with the CF gut, and also resistance. One of the biggest dangers is cross-contamination of CF patients uh, with highly resistant bacteria. If we could reduce the broad-spectrum use, and start to understand what the antibiotics do, why patients get better when they're provided, then we can use them more effectively, um, decrease healthcare costs, decrease the patient's need to stay in the hospital, and maybe if we understand what causes the exacerbations, we can even learn how to prevent them.
1: Well, I think it will be important to um, understand the initial <laughs> instruction that goes on and mm-hmm. how it evolves over time and why you know, kids... Have certain kind of mucus, and then when you know they're older, as teenagers, it changes. I mean, are there any organoids of an alveolus that can be modeled, or you know yeah, see the uh, bacteria
2: there? That's a pretty hot area of research. Did you say niche construction? I couldn't quite hear that.
1: Yeah, what the background right? niche construction, what the background,
2: yeah.
1: and what it looks like, yeah, what I micro know environment looks like and how it changes.
2: Yeah, that's actually a great question. So, my lab doesn't really work on organoids, but I'd love to answer the niche construction question. That's something I think about a lot. So I'm really a microbial ecologist. As I mentioned, I my PhD on kind of marine microbiology, diseases of lobsters. I took a lot of microbial ecology classes. Um, that niche construction has been a major area of research in my lab, understanding which bacteria live where, why, why do we have Pseudomonas and, and these bacteria that tend to be kind of soil bacteria. Burkholderia is another common pathogen, lives in the soil, a chromobacter. what is it it about the CF lung that provides a niche where these bacteria can occupy? And if we can learn that, we can kind of shut that niche down. With that in mind. One thing that that I developed early on in my kind of research career, um, you know, I was thinking about cystic fibrosis from microbial ecology perspective and these mucus plugged bronchioles are characteristic of the disease and not just CF, but really all chronic infectious lung diseases, your lung tubes, which are your bronchioles get plugged with mucus. And it's a high-carbon environment. There's lots of nutrients for bacteria. There's lots of stuff for them to eat, for them to grow on. So it's not all that unlike some of the microbial ecology experiments that, that I learned about in my undergraduate, um, such as soil bacteria. They're living in a high-carbon environment, and it's a mixed microbial community. We developed a method to better um, culture bacteria from the CF lung that mimics the lung environment called the Wind cf system. Uh, it's actually an homage to Sergei Vinogradsky who is my uh, science hero. He was the first, the father of microbial ecology in the late 1890s. He was a Russian guy who decided it was a good idea to um, go into a lake and pull out some sediment. He put it in a glass tube next to a window and he was studying how microbial communities stratify chemical gradients. So sediment and soil communities have niche partitioning and they have um, stratification in these environments. We think the CF lung is very similar. We actually published a paper last year, almost two years ago now, that showed that that there is this niche partitioning in the lung. And not to get too deep into it, but we think it's very much driven by these different types of bacteria, these pathogens and these anaerobes. They seem to be somewhat mutually exclusive. There may be some cooperation between their cross-feeding between them, but for the most part, they, they seem to have very different niche occupancy and they have different um, nutrients that they feed on. That might be a bit of a long-winded answer, but you kind of sparked my interest there. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I mean, that's why I think it would be very important to characterize that environment. You know, if there's bacteria A and B, and then as it progresses, and now C and D predominate, you know, in an older yeah kid's lung. That's, ex- that would tell that's you exactly something. what we're what doing. doing. What are that's their exactly what metabolites? We're doing and what are they, you know,
2: yeah, response to look at? exactly what we're doing. We're profiling the molecules and metabolites in the lung, which bacteria eat what. And what we learn from that hopefully will help CF patients. But it also applies to a better understanding of bacterial communities in general, certainly in a pathogenic sense. What we can learn from CF may apply to our gut microbiome, our skin microbiome. Um, There's advantages to studying this particular community in this context because, as opposed to others, the gut microbiome, for example, which my lab also works on, is very, very diverse. There's thousands of species in the gut. Difficult to get a handle on all this complexity. The CF lung is somewhat reduced. You know, there's 10 to 15 to 20 bacteria that we encounter in the lungs. It sets up a, a good model system for understanding host-associated microbial communities. Although it's very unique in, in the sense that it's a pathogenic one.
1: Well, very good. What's, what's the best way for people to learn more about uh, what you're working on?
2: Um, well, I just. Uh, had my lab website go live, uh, robertclinlab.com. You guys can check that out. Uh, I have a website at uh, Michigan State University, the Department of Biochemistry and Molecular Biology. I encourage people to, to look at it there. You there. Know, but there's a lot of exciting research in CF. And, and really, you know, any Google search, just like we all do, um, aspects of the disease you're interested in, you'll find um, different scientists at different universities, Michigan State included. That um, I'd be sure more than happy to to discuss this disease. Studying CF is, I don't know if it's necessarily a unique experience, but we tend to get very close to patients, families, and doctors. And it provides a really unique experience, I think, for understanding that your research does matter, can make a difference. I myself am very excited to talk to people who have, know someone with the disease, have the disease themselves, provide any, any information
1: that we can. Very good, Robert. Thank you for coming. It's been a very good call and you're working on some important stuff. That was fun.
0: You've been listening to the Future Tech Edition of the Finding Genius Podcast. This podcast is information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed. Review us on iTunes or wherever you listen and subscribe today by going to